0: Hey friends, welcome back uh, to another time of sitting together and learning about who we are when we go through wilderness experiences. So, the dog has been um, in the other room with one of our kids. The cuckoo clock is turned off. Let's see if we can go through this without any funny noises or interruptions. And if it happens, it happens. That's just kind of how these things go. So we're talking about the wilderness and I'd like to start today by suggesting that sometimes we end up in the wilderness because we need to have our blind spots exposed. We need things to be revealed to us that we normally wouldn't be able to see. couple weeks ago I talked about Hagar and her wilderness experience and she actually needed to have God open her eyes so she could see a well right in front of her I think sometimes we end up in the wilderness because because we can't see things otherwise and it's the wilderness experience that exposes blind spots and in in the case of looking at the story of Philip today in Acts chapter 8 it's actually a chance to have our biases and our prejudices exposed and we want to talk about that today you know uh, uh, it's 10 years ago now uh, we made a conscious decision to move to another country and by doing that we voluntarily entered into a wilderness experience we were um, living in a part of the city of london where we were the minority most of our day was spent with people, uh, majority uh, people group in that location who were from the Indian subcontinent. And I remember how it felt um, going to a church. We ended up attending an Anglican church uh, that was uh, very multicultural, but we were the outsiders. And I remember how it felt being on the outside, often being excluded, even though it wasn't intentional. And then being in the community uh, among uh, an ethnic group where we we just didn't speak their language, we didn't know the culture, and I remember the the challenges of going through that. But I also remember how it opened my eyes up to the way that I'd been living previous to that in my own country in the way that I was treating people who were often on the outside. So it was a good experience for me, but I I think it took that kind of a wilderness experience that that we voluntarily entered into to have our biases, at least my biases and my prejudices exposed. So today we're in Acts chapter eight and we're looking at um, a guy named Philip that uh, we are introduced to uh, just in the previous chapter. And there's two uh, examples in his story. There's two situations that you'll read about in his life. and I want to focus on on the second one predominantly, but I, but I just want to talk about Philip and, and the wilderness experience that that he went to. So if we look at um, the first couple of verses in Acts chapter eight, and, and we'll have read, you'll have read, um, have had the, the story of the, the Ethiopian eunuch read for you this morning. And thank you to the Hammond family for reading that for us. But in the beginning part of this chapter, uh, we read about a persecution that began in the early church, and it swept through all of Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. And we read that the believers in verse 4 who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus everywhere they went. But here's a group of Christians who literally are running for their lives because of their faith. They are scattered outside of their region. They have to leave their their place of comfort. And they go uh, into these New places. And so we're going to read about Philip literally entering the wilderness, but again, as in so many of these examples, he has a symbolic wilderness. And that is leaving the place you love and and being forced somewhere else. And he has to deal with um, everything that comes with that, the pain that comes with that, the discomfort that comes with that, but also the opportunity for God to open his eyes to what God was doing, and God was going to use two people in particular uh, to show Philip, and I think the the extended church, the the group of early followers of Jesus, uh, just how much God wanted to blow wide open the doors of their worldview uh, so that their hearts would be as big as his in letting everyone uh, into his family. So... In Acts, um, in Acts eight, from from verse you know forty to or verse four to verse twenty five, Philip meets a guy named Simon the sorcerer. So we're told that Philip left Jerusalem; he went north into Samaria, and and Samaritans and Jews at this point did not get along. It, I've used this analogy before; it is not unlike Jews and Palestinians today. The animosity between these two groups would have been very similar. And we're not really told why, but for whatever reason, he ends up in Samaria and and he he at least trusts God enough that he knows, hey, I'm here and there's an opportunity for me to, to actually tell people about Jesus. So he does two things, he, he explains the good news of Jesus and he meets people's needs, he serves them, he heals people, we're, we read that he um, casts demons out of people, but uh, you can take that for what you want, the reality is, Philip is making a difference in their lives he is serving them and then he's telling them why he's serving them because of the good news of Jesus and so he's obediently following what Jesus had asked him to do I do find it interesting that in Acts 1 8 Jesus said to his followers you will be my witnesses you'll tell people about me in Jerusalem Judea Samaria and to the ends of the earth And yet, when we get to Acts 8.1, they are all still in Jerusalem. It took the persecution to scatter the Christians in order for them to actually begin to take seriously what Jesus had been asking them to do. Sometimes the wilderness puts us into places that we needed to be anyway. And I think that's the example of what's going on with Philip. And God's going to use two people in his life to completely... um, uh, expose his his blind spots, his biases, his prejudices, and to and to expand his worldview. And the first one is Simon the sorcerer that we meet. So you can read the story for yourself. Um, we're introduced to this guy. He's a Samaritan. He's a sorcerer. So he uses some type of black magic to impress people to do incredible things. In fact, uh, in the translation I have, verse ten, uh, it says that uh, one of the One of these people, or some of the people, spoke of him as the Great One, the power of God. And I thought, wow, that's interesting, um, because I reserve that simply for Wayne. And those of you who are hockey fans know what I'm talking about. Simon meets uh, Philip, and the result is Simon the sorcerer, this magician, comes to faith. And so we read in in verse 13 that Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he began following Philip wherever he went. And he was amazed by the signs and the great miracles that Philip performed. You know, often people read this story, and there's a negative part. The the rest of the story looks somewhat negatively on Simon, um, because he tries to buy uh, the The other apostles come and they lay their hands on people and they receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Simon sees this and he goes to them and he says, hey, could I buy from you guys what you're able to do? I'll pay you if you'll just show me how to do that. And of course, they rebuke him. And people often read this story and they look negatively upon Simon because he was a sorcerer. And that is not the negative connotation. Simon the sorcerer comes to faith. Simon the the Samaritan who was a half-Jew, looked down upon by most Jews, actually comes to faith and is believed, or he he believes and he's baptized. That's fascinating. The only negative part of, that we're told about Simon is that he had a lust for power, and he tried to buy it. But at this point, he's an insider, and I think there's, there's uh, something there we need to pay attention to, that the negative uh, reflection on Simon is on someone who's on the inside not the outside it wasn't that he was a samaritan that made him on the that that gave a negative view it wasn't that he was a sorcerer it was that he had a lust for power i think there's a lesson in there for for the church to pay attention to today and then to the part which i want to zero in on is that philip meets the ethiopian eunuch so there's the story of simon and and it's dealt with and then we're told that the angel of the lord said to philip go south to the desert road that runs from jerusalem to gaza that's verse 26. so he started out and he met an ethiopian eunuch he was the treasurer of the queen of ethiopia and he had gone to jerusalem to worship that's verse 27. and now he was returning home in his carriage so he's on his way home to ethiopia and after philip spends time in samaria god says to him follow the road that goes into the desert or goes into the wilderness and he doesn't tell him why he just says go and philip again um, trusts god enough to obey him And he lives a life of obedience and it's there that he meets the eunuch and the eunuch is going to i think rock his world god is going to rock his world through the experience he has with the eunuch so the rest of the story is that philip's on this road that goes to the middle of nowhere it goes to gaza and at that point gaza was already an abandoned city it had been destroyed but it's the road that goes back to Ethiopia. So so in the middle of nowhere, Philip comes alongside of this chariot. Now this man's an important official, so there'd be an entourage quite likely. And, and we were told that Philip heard him reading the scriptures and that's what they did. They didn't read them silently, they read them out loud. So Philip coming alongside the chariot, which I think is a bit of a gamble in the first place, he's taking a risk there, he hears him reading. And he's reading from Isaiah 53. And Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And of course, the eunuch says, well, how can I understand unless somebody tells me what's going on? And, um, and then they have this conversation from the passage he's reading. And he's reading from Isaiah chapter 53. And Isaiah 53 is famously known as the, the chapter of the suffering servant. And the eunuch is reading about a person and he wants to know who it is. And so he says to Philip, you know, is, is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And I think the eunuch wants to know something. Because he's reading about somebody who was despised, who was rejected, uh, who had people turn their backs on him. People thought that the that the, per, the servant in, in Isaiah 53, all of his troubles were a punishment from God. Um, we read in verse 7 that, This servant was oppressed and treated harshly. And then, of course, verses 7 and 8, which is uh, how where Philip or Luke tells us that he was reading from. And, of course, that's just a representation that he was reading from this section of the scroll of Isaiah because they didn't use chapter and, and verse at this point. You see, the the eunuch wants to know who this is because I think the eunuch is resonating with the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. Now, we need to pay attention to this. Luke tells us in verse 27 that the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He went to the temple so he could worship. Here's a couple things that are happening, though he is not a jew he's a gentile he's from what would today be southern sudan he's a black man he's a non-jew and he's a eunuch that means he's been castrated as a non-jew gentile at best he'd be allowed in the outer court of the gentiles at the jerusalem temple so he would have experienced the exclusion that came with that As a eunuch, he's actually excluded from the community as a whole. And that's based on Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1. And the system in place at that day would have taken that passage out of Deuteronomy and said, Sorry, dude, uh, you wait out there because we don't need you making us unclean or spoiling our worship experience. And we need to pick up on that. Because he's reading from Isaiah 53 from somebody who had gone through the very same thing, and he wants to know who it is. And, and God uses Philip to help him see and to understand. Now the real kicker on this is that this eunuch that had read Isaiah 53, you know, quite likely would have been reading Isaiah 56. He wouldn't have had the chapter reference, but it's it's literally, you know, a, a two-minute read further on. And I want to read for you from Isaiah 56. This is what the Lord says, Be just and fair to all. Do what is right and good, for I am coming soon to rescue you and to display my righteousness among you. Bless all those who are careful to do this. Bless those who honor my Sabbath day of rest and keep themselves from doing wrong. And then this in verse 3, Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say the Lord will never let me be part of His people. And don't let the eunuchs say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future, for this is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house, the temple, a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give, for the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who work. Worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest, who hold fast to my covenant, and I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. For the sovereign Lord who brings back the outcasts of Israel says, I will bring others too, besides my people Israel. And that is a quotation that Jesus uses when he's clearing the temple. See, the eunuch had been excluded and it was wrong. And then when Philip explains to him that this servant is actually talking about Jesus, then the eunuch says, hey, I believe, look, there's some water, why shouldn't I be baptized? And Philip baptizes him at the end of the story here. And then crazy upon crazy, Philip is escorted away. God takes him somewhere else and the eunuch goes on to Ethiopia, a new disciple with nobody to tell him how he should behave or the way he's supposed to worship the Lord or what he is supposed to know. But Philip has to trust that the spirit of God is going to work in this man's life. You see, I think God used the wilderness experience that Philip went through, the persecution and then the obedience to go into the middle of nowhere to expose for Philip the biases and the prejudices that were a part of his life because he was, he was a good Jew. He would have been fully aware of the fact that this man can't come into the temple because he's a Gentile and he's, a, he's a, a eunuch and we just don't allow for that kind of thing. And it's the story of Simon the sorcerer. It's the encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch where God through Philip shows the early followers, I'm blowing the doors wide open on this thing. I want everyone to be a part of my household. I'm so glad Philip was obedient. In verse four, as he's running for his life, he tells people about the good news. In verse 40, we read that after his experience with the eunuch, he carries on telling people about the good news, going up the coast, trying to invite people into God's family. It's a life of obedience. You know, sometimes when we hear this word obedience, we think negatively about it. And yet the word obedience comes from the Latin word, ab-odir, and it means to listen attentively. And compare that to the word the Latin word for deafness, which is absurdus. It's where we get our word absurd. So Philip lived an obedient life, listening attentively to what God was up to, rather than living an absurd life. And it's my encouragement that if God is leading us into the wilderness that we pay attention and listen attentively to what he's doing, because it's quite likely that this is a time in our existence when he is exposing our biases and our prejudices. And the story of Philip, I think, is a wonderful example of this. There's a man named Willie Jennings who's written a commentary on the book of Acts, and he's he's a theologian, he's also a black man, and he writes this. Disciples of Jesus must be convinced not only of God's love for the world, but also of God's desire for people, especially people we have been taught not to desire. I think the story of Philip is a wonderful opportunity for us to learn about how our wilderness experiences can sometimes expose the biases and prejudices that we have. And I think right now, this experience that we're going in, that we're having with the pandemic has forced us to ask questions like, do we have to meet in person on Sunday in order to be the church? What does it mean to be the church? But it's also forcing us to wrestle with things like exclusion. People are asking questions. When we are back meeting, if someone hasn't been vaccinated, are they going to be allowed to worship with us? And it's making us think about what it means to exclude people. What I want to do is actually invite you to ask the question, who have we been excluding up until now because we've not found them desirable? We are letting this wilderness experience push us into exploring how we reach out and and serve people who are struggling with, with mental health challenges, anxiety and depression. And we want our new life family to feel like a place where they can be themselves. We've been partnering with the Out of the Cold program. We want to be in in deeper relationship with the homeless, the marginalized, and not just come as their savior, but actually come and do life with them. And dare I say, even learn from them about the kingdom of God. There's a growing immigrant community moving into Collingwood. And I am so thankful for that. But I sure hope we can learn how to create a place where they feel welcome and accepted. The issues around gender identity and sexuality are forcing the church to ask the questions. Have we been excluding these people because they are undesirable to us? What does it mean to invite them into the family the way that God was challenging Philip and the early Christians in Acts chapter 8. And I want to reiterate that acceptance and agreement are two very different things. Philip's wilderness experience exposes blind spots. And it's part of my prayer that the wilderness experience that we might be having right now would be the opportunity for us to allow God to open our eyes and to see who we've been excluding, whether it was intentionally or not. You have biases and prejudices that you may not even be aware of. And maybe this is a time for us to pay attention to those. I invite you to think about those questions. And I want to invite you to do one thing specifically this week. Go to the Be in Christ website, and I've put a link for it in the the notes on the sermon that you can find on our website. And they have uh, just recently done um, a couple of interviews with people, one with a a black man and one with a First Nations woman. And they talk about racism and social justice. And I encourage you to watch both of those and learn from this brother and this sister um, some of the things that we need to pay attention to and hear this week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, discussing and learning together. And it's my prayer that, um, that as you reflect on the story of Philip this week in Acts 8, that actually the Spirit will just um, minister to you and allow you to see new things about yourself that maybe you hadn't before. That's my prayer for you. God bless.